Um, if you would, please open up your Bibles, if you haven't already, to the passage that, Ma- uh, that Mike has read for us this morning, Matthew chapter 9, uh, beginning in verses 1 through 8, is what we're going to be covering in a sermon series that we've been working through the Gospel of Matthew called King and Kingdom, and we have seen how Jesus, as He has come, God in the flesh, that He has established a kingdom within a kingdom. And that his kingdom is even greater. It is more triumphant than even the one that is being experienced. That, that the government of Rome, that the country, that the, the United States of America, that presidents, kings, and kingdoms will all pass away. But there is something particular, that there is something grand about the ultimate kingdom that Jesus foreshadows um, in his experience on his 33 years on this planet as he commissions his church to continue that process and in the midst of all of those things that there's this great promise that his eternal kingdom will one day come so Jesus' ministry as he has come to save the lost he is also um, giving us a foretaste of what that heavenly kingdom will be like where there will be no more pain No sorrow, no sickness, but ultimately no sin, and we can be in right relationship with God. So today we continue this study as we have seen last week, Jesus has been doing these miraculous healings. He has healed a bunch of people, he has gone across a lake, and in the middle of the storm he falls asleep, and they awaken Jesus, and they're they're crying out, do you not care that we are perishing? And yet Jesus stands up, he rebukes the winds and the waves in the storm, and the Bible tells us that an immediate calm came across the earth. As soon as he gets across that lake, he begins to get away just for some, some I, I would say, prayer time, and, but ultimately to illustrate his power once again. And he steps into a Gentile city where he is meted, um, he is greeted by, by, by two um, demon-possessed men. And Jesus shows us last week that he has power over the supernatural. Well, Jesus is going to kind of keep in this framework of, of kind of illustrating today as, as we look as Jesus is going to particularly be ministering to um, a paralyzed man. A paralyzed man. The Bible tells us here in that passage that was read earlier that Jesus has come to his home, his home of Capernaum. Now, if you've been a Bible student and have grown up in church in any way, you don't really think about Capernaum being Jesus' home, but it's more of his adopted home. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth until he started his earthly ministry, and guess what they did to him? They booted him out of his hometown So he adopts Capernaum kind of as his base of operations. Jesus even says, I had no place to lay my head. And yet there is kind of this central base of his ministry that is around the city of Capernaum. The Bible tells us in this passage that we read that this home inside of Capernaum was filled with people. We can imagine that it was. This is a, probably a small home made up of brick, of, of mud brick and sticks and hay that they have molded together to form walls. And Jesus' popularity has began to expound and to grow to where people are, are really intrigued with this rabbi, this teacher, this healer named Jesus. And the Bible tells us in this passage that this house is packed out that there's not even room the bible says that in the the room of the door so you get this kind of shoulder to shoulder um i just picture hot sweaty smelly people 
all crowded in, all huddled in, watching this Jesus, this guy from Nazareth, this carpenter, this guy who speaks with authority, this guy who has healed people. So this room is probably filled with a a very diverse crowd of listeners, isn't it? It's filled with his disciples. It's, it's filled with the sick in hopes that maybe they would be healed. It's filled with the, the curious, maybe the skeptic, and definitely those who would be critical of Jesus and his ministry. You know, there are people in our world, maybe you're in this room, maybe that's why you've come to this young church of ours, is because it's a smaller crowd. There are people who will avoid large crowds, and yet that is not the case in this scene that we are witnessing this morning, as people are, are crammed into this small area wanting to hear from Jesus. So while all of this is taking place, as the Bible tells us here in Matthew, that Jesus is preaching the Word. Remember, His primary ministry is a preaching ministry. God, at the end of, of the, this kind of first church age that we see here, um, He gives us a book, does He not? So words are extremely important to God. They're extremely important to Jesus. They're extremely important to the Holy Spirit. They're extremely important to us as a congregation. And Jesus is preaching to these listeners, these thinkers, these critical people, these sick folk. And yet while this is taking place inside, there's something else brewing on the outside. The Bible tells us that there are four men um, who have brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Now, I don't know about your life, but um, in my life, I've had the opportunity to, to have several friends and family members and to work with several people um, throughout ministry um, who are paralyzed. Being paralyzed is typically some sort of brain or spinal cord injury um, that is, has caused either something to happen in a person's brain where it does not allow their body to, to function, to move, um, or they've had some sort of other type of injury that has kept them paralyzed. They are unable to move, to function on their own. I want us to think for a moment of what it would be like to be a paralyzed person in this time period. I want you to think for a moment. Let's, let's try to have some compassion and place ourselves in, into those people that we know or that we've been around or just imagine for a moment, ladies and gentlemen, what it would be like for you and for I to be completely dependent on someone else to take care of you. Maybe your mind is fine, and you can think, and you're smart, and you're bright, and you can speak, but the rest of your body is incapable of moving. Imagine with me that every time that you needed your clothes to be changed, someone had to change you. Uh, imagine that every time that you needed to bath, you would never get a bath, all right? You would never wash. You would never be clean unless someone gave you a bath. You would never go to the restroom. 
You being clean of, uh, of, of going to the bathroom all over yourself would, would never happen unless someone showed you mercy, unless someone showed you grace to clean you up or to take you to the restroom. Literally, you would starve to death unless someone was able to, to place food into your mouth. Some of you have heard me tell a story, and maybe if you're a Western student, you have had my uncle as a professor. He teaches psychology uh, 101 up at Western, and my uncle is paralyzed. Um, he was in an accident in 1980, got hurt, paralyzed. Brain, spine, he's got a couple of master's degree. Obviously, he teaches at Western, but his body does not, Siri. That's funny. Um... But he, he teaches up at Western, and I, I just think about my uncle a lot. This last year has been very difficult on him. As many people who are in wheelchairs, they get bed sores. My uncle got a really bad bed sore, and he spent the last five and a half months in a hospital because the wound would not heal. At one point... It got to where he could get out of the hospital, but there was no one to take care of him because he has to have someone to get him up in the morning, put his clothes on him, give him showers, help him use the restroom, and then do, does that again at night. And he had no one to take care of him. So he had to stay in the hospital longer because he's completely dependent on those moments for someone to take care of him. Well, my uncle seems to be even further along than this man. If you've ever been to a foreign country and you've seen someone with special needs or a disability, it puts a whole new height and level to this. We're talking about a time and a period where, where they do not have the ability to work. They do not have the technology that we have. They, they, they do not have the government programs to make sure that every restaurant has a, a, a wheelchair ramp going into it or that every building has an elevator so that, that people have the ability and the mobility to have a functioning life. And yet this man we see does not have that, that he is laying on a mat where he probably spends a majority of his time. And yet on this particular day, outside of this house, there is four men. I believe in one of the, the Gospels, it tells us that these, these four men are this man's friend. We don't know how long that this man has been there. He could have been born this way. He could have had an accident. He could have created or, or contracted a disease that has caused this inside of this man. But for some period of time, this gentleman, in this time period, in this place, in this city, is paralyzed, and yet he has these four friends who at all cost, at all cost, jumping over every obstacle, want to get their friend to Jesus. They cared for him. They trusted and knew of Jesus' power, so they carried this lying man on a mat to, to the home to where Jesus is preaching only to have their hopes dashed that morning as it's a crowded house. And thank God it's a crowded house. But for those guys, and particularly that man who is in need of physical healing, it creates a major, major obstacle for them to get 
to Jesus. In Luke chapter 5, verse 18, amen, Cash, um, tells us this, that in Luke chapter 5, verse 18, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and, and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. Imagine just for a moment that you're crowded in that space. Jesus is speaking. He's talking about how he's going to plant this awesome church named Mission Church in Bowling Green one day. And people are just like, what? There's a Bowling Green? Where is this? Right? And so they're just really intrigued with what is, is saying. And, and all of a sudden, maybe you're a spectator. Maybe you're the owner of the house. And, and you begin to hear what maybe sounds like small elephants on your roof. As, as they begin to pitch these mud tiles or to dig through your house and roof. I mean, you're sitting there, you're being covered in dust, you're wondering what in the world, you're like people do when dust is flying all over them, and you're, you're shaking this, I don't know, maybe you're Jewish cussing the man out, you're flipping in the dove, whatever you do, and, and you, because the dude is digging a hole in your house. What is, what is going on here? And this isn't a small hole. The Bible tells us here that it's, it's enough for this entire mat. So you kind of see in the images that people have portrayed that they probably put uh, several ropes on each corner as these men lowered their friend, practically get this picture, right in front of Jesus. Awkward, to say the least. All right? Like, like if you... If you, let me just, let's clear it up. We're from the South. Like, you dig a hole in my roof like I'm burning down your house. I mean, it's payback. It's, it's what we do, right? I'm going to key your car, <laughs> all right? I'm, there, there's payback here. This is an awkward moment, to say the least, as, as this man is lowered through the roof in front of Jesus. But Jesus has a tendency to making things even more awkward. That's when I, whenever my wife tells me that I make things really awkward because I have a way of doing that, I just say I'm being more like Jesus. In verse 2 it says, And when Jesus saw their faith, so Jesus looks at these dudes, looks at the man laying there, and this is what he says there in verse 2, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Imagine just for the moment that the, the small whispering that begins to take place inside of this house. The man has come for physical healing. And yet the first thing, the only conversation that we have within Scripture is that, that Jesus looks and he says, because of their faith and this man laying here, because of their faith, he, said, or he sees their faith, and he says to them, take heart, son, your sins are 
forgiven. Notice this man isn't asking Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of his life. This man isn't praying the sinner's prayer. This man isn't, isn't asking Jesus. We have no dialogue here, no expression. We don't even know if this gentleman can talk. And yet Jesus sees their faith and he says, take heart, son. This, this idea of compassion, this idea of relationship. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. In an interesting turn of events, Jesus doesn't heal the man but instead tells him that his sins are forgiven. Later in verse 3, it says this, follow along with me, and behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. See, this is the first time that they've seen Jesus do anything like this that we have on record. People come at the Jesus, they're, they're lepers, he heals them. Peter's mother-in-law, sick, he heals them. But in this instance, the, the thing that Jesus does is, is mind-blowing to these listeners. Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, but I'm, I'm, I'm still paralyzed here. I, that's awesome, Jesus. But I can't move, brother. I can't take care of my family. This is what I need. This, my greater need right now is this physical state that I'm in. And yet, Jesus is saying to this man, no, take heart, your, your sins are forgiven. Over the last several weeks, we've seen Jesus building up, ramping up toward this very moment. He has shown power and authority over physical illness. He has shown power and authority over nature. He has shown power and authority over the supernatural. And now, Jesus not only shows that he has power again over the sick, but he has power over sin itself. See, though all of those miracles are pretty amazing, they are all secondary to why Jesus has come. And yet, what is the statement by these men, these scribes? You know what the scribes were? The scribes were, let's call them the Ph.D., carrying, card-carrying members of the Pharisee sect. They were the professors. They were the most knowledgeable of men of the Old Testament. And what do they begin to say? They begin to say things, this is blasphemy. Why is this blasphemy? Because only God has the right to forgive sins. Now, before we beat up the scribes and the Pharisees, guess what? They were right. If Jesus is just a man, then this is blasphemy only God can forgive sins and yet there's this guy from Nazareth who's saying hey I want you to know your sins are forgiven we see inside of scripture that that yes God only forgives sins and how does he even do this well he has created the sacrificial system right you have to sacrifice an animal inside of the temple priest has to do that for you and that covers your sin it forgives 
your sin. But inside of this adobe on this day, there is no temple. There is no priest there. There are no animals. Only God can forgive sin. According to Leviticus chapter 24, verses 10 through 16, this is blasphemy that Jesus is doing. And it is a capital offense. It is actually punishable by death. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, isn't this the reason why Jesus eventually is, stands before a mockery of a trial and is eventually killed upon a cross? Is because of blasphemy. They really thought they were doing God's will. If this is any other man, guess what? He deserves to be death. He deserves to die. He deserves capital punishment. However, if Jesus is God, then brothers and sisters, this changes everything. So Jesus, this is a scary passage of scripture, isn't it? It says that Jesus knows their very thoughts. You can't hide those from Jesus. He knows that they're thinking these things. He knows that they're thinking that he's being blasphemous. So he poses an open-ended question, doesn't he? He says, which is it? Is it easier for me to say, son, your sins are forgiven, or rise and walk? What's the obvious? It's easier to say that your sins are forgiven. Why? There is no external proof of that. You know, it's, imagine me walking down the street and saying, hey, your sins are forgiven, and just keep going. There's no authority within me, and there's no proof of that action. Why does Jesus cast out the demons and send them into swine? To prove what he had just done to those men. Jesus, in, the, in a very similar thing, it is much easier for you to walk up to somebody and say, hey, I, I, you know, your sins are forgiven, to walk into Walmart, see a person on one of those scooter things, and say, hey, get up and walk, or in a wheelchair and say, get up and walk, or, or, or to, to go to Mr. Alan Bullard, uh, 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 you know, a person who attends here at Mission, and to, he's having heart trouble, and to walk into that room, or into ICU, or to CCU, and just walk up to those people and say, get up! Walk, rise, walk. That is much more difficult. Yet what happens? Verse 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and he went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. So Jesus does end up healing the man. But why? Simply to prove that he had also, and even greater, had forgiven the man of his sins. See, personally, on this side of the cross and resurrection, and as a, as a preacher and teacher, and maybe I need this in my own life, I wish that Jesus wouldn't have healed the man. Because I think that there's a great teaching point. Now, I know that sounds like a massive lack of compassion, but there are many times when Jesus comes across sick people 
that he does not heal. He does not heal everyone that is sick inside of Scripture. Why, though? Because it is not his main objective. I want to give you about three truths to consider this morning from this passage. The first one is this, and it's the minor point. And yet, I know of many pastors, and they're, they're great guys, and I understand what they're doing, but they'll spend the rest of their time this morning talking about this minor point. I'm going to hit it like a mosquito bite. The first thing, the first thing to consider, the first truth to consider, is the importance of community. Brothers and sisters, students, you must be involved in Christian community. God never meant for this to be done alone, but it is meant to be done together. Iron sharpening iron, pastorally caring for one another, discipling each other, encouraging each other in mission. Even when Jesus sends out missions, what does he do? He sends them out two by two. He does so in community. The community of faith was everything to these people. It was everything to the early church. It's what you're going to spend the rest of your life if you are saved with God. You are going to be in community with other brothers and sisters throughout the world. You need to be, you must be, for the sake of your spiritual health, involved in community. I see it all the time when people are doing things that they're not supposed to be doing, living in sin, or trying to run from God. Typically, the first thing they do is they dissect themselves from Christian community. And you will not see that in Scripture you will not see it justified. So the minor point that I want to encourage you this morning is the importance of community. This guy had four friends at least. He's alive, so someone has been feeding him. Someone to some degree has been taking care of him, and that's what we should be doing here at his mission church. This week we kick off missional communities. We're going to have the first one together at the Flanders this week to talk over some things, to vision cast what those are going to look like. And then from there, we've got two of those groups. We encourage you college students to come, new folks to come. That is really the bread and butter of what it means to be a part of Mission Church. There you experience pastoral care for one another. You experience discipleship. You will pray for one another. And you will also engage and create mission opportunities for one another. If you have more questions about that, we'd love to talk to you about that, but I want you to understand the importance of community. The second and third point here, or thoughts to consider, truths to consider, are the more important ones. This passage is truly not about mud roofs, not about friends, not about wondering what Jesus was teaching on that day, not even really about the physical healing of that Man, the, the, the greater truth is this, the primary truth is this, and that is that Jesus now flexes his authority and his power over and the, giving him the ability to forgive sin. Think about that. Jesus takes on the responsibility of judge. He takes on the responsibility of king that with his very words can forgive you can forgive me. Listen to some of these passages I wrote down. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
In Isaiah 43:25, I I am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake, and I will not remember your sins. In Psalm 103:12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on the earth. And we could go on and on and on with proof text after proof text after proof text after proof text that, that Jesus has been ramping up toward this moment to deliver a powerful, powerful truth. It is not the temple. It is not the sacrificial system. It is not the priest who forgives. It is I, King Jesus, the creator of all things, the Lord of lords, that I can look upon people and it's not blasphemy. Why? Because I am God. I have this power. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I have to often convince myself to forgive other people. I often will have to kind of really, man, how do I really convince myself this is what needs to happen? This is what they, they deserve this finally. And yet this is not what Jesus does. The scripture tells us that when the crowd saw the physical healing of this man, what? That they were afraid. Then notice what they do. And they glorified God who had given such authority to who? To men. They are not worshiping Jesus because he can forgive sins. They're worshiping Jesus because a paralyzed man now can move. They're not worshiping Jesus as God in this moment. They're worshiping Jesus because they believe God has given him an authority to heal this man physically. See, brothers and sisters, they have missed the point. They did not worship Jesus as he has forgiven this man. They worship him because of this power that he has been given. And, and like many of us who miss the point as well, some of us are, are, are really struggling with God this morning. Let's scale back all the layers. Let's ask God to, to reveal to us who we really are. See, some of us are extremely wrestling with God. We are tittering on the edge of fellowship and walking away. And if we were to get really honest with ourselves, we're, we're struggling with Jesus this, this morning because Jesus is not answering our prayers like we think He should. That He's not making our lives as easy as we think that He should. Maybe we believe in some way that God has hurt our feelings, or, or maybe we believe like we talked about last week, do you not, or a few weeks ago, do you not even care? 
We're wrestling with things in our lives. We're wrestling with relationships. We're wrestling with our husband. We're wrestling with our wives. We're wrestling with issues within our children. We're wrestling with issues within our country and and, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our dorm rooms, on our campus, when we watch the news, all those sorts of things. We're, We're wrestling, and it is real what you're going through. That pain that you're feeling is real. That hurt that you are feeling is real, and, and we are really struggling with God because God isn't coming through like we've expected Him to come through. See, brothers and sisters, write this down. We would rather God fix our immediate need than our eternal problem. We would rather God fix our immediate need than our eternal problem. See, our felt needs to us appear to be greater than our spiritual needs. You get that? Anybody ever feel that way? The, the guys at the program Living House at Hope House, they argue, they, they wrestle with this all the time to Pastor Justin and other guys that minister to them. They'll say, you know, we're trying to follow Jesus and then all this bad stuff happens to us. What's up with that? I mean, we really wrestle with this. When you're sharing the gospel, when they just, you know, somebody just wants $5. And you're like, well, man, I can give you that $5, but, but there's a greater issue here. There's a greater problem here. See, the, the thing is, is, you know, you guys have heard him. He's been amening us all this morning. My son, Cash, who has cerebral palsy, special needs, new people. He's not just a kid freaking out. Like, we're great parents, I promise. Um, <laughs> get him, Laura. Um, so, you know, we... You know, the thing is, wouldn't it be miraculous this morning? I'm telling you, you talk about a dude ugly crying. You talk about next week, Mission Church exploding. If we call my little boy to come up here, and we call the elders of the church, and we lay some earl on his forehead, and we're going to super holy it up, we'll put it in the shape of a cross on his forehead, because that, that makes it even more holy, Right? We do as the scripture says. It says, call the elders of the church if you have someone sick and and bring them before the elders of the church and have them lay hands on them and to pray for them. And that's not to belittle that at all because guess what? God can still physically heal, ladies and gentlemen. I don't want us to miss that. I'm not trying to belittle his physical healing. But the thing is, if, if we were to lay hands on cash this morning and he was to all of a sudden begin to speak, and, and to be typical and to be normal. That would be an amazing thing. We would all say, man, God has moved in this place. But I want you to know the truth of the gospel is this, is that if God was to cause my own son to be healed before us, and though would we rejoice and that the words would go out of what God had done in this place, but if Cash was to continue to live that life and not have his sins forgiven and to go to hell, then there is a great greater loss than his inabilities that he currently has. All of your garbage isn't going to be fixed this side of heaven. And to some of you, that's bad news. That is great news. Like, just to to own that. It's not going to all be fixed, but there's a longing for heaven that it is going to be fixed. 
It is out there. You may wrestle, some of you, you have illnesses and, and pains. I think again about Alan this morning who has Parkinson's disease. This, this brother outside of a miracle of God is, is not going to get better from that. You have illnesses, you have hurts, you have pains, you have issues with your parents, you have issues with your kids, you have all of these things. And, and then you want those things, and I want to encourage you, we're a praying church, we believe that God can heal those things, but ultimately we want Jesus to heal your soul. We want you to be saved. We want you to be forgiven. We would rather have our felt needs healed than our spiritual needs. Brothers and sisters, it is better for us to go limping into heaven than running into hell. If all God does is come here and take care of our sweaty, our, not our sweaty noses, but our runny noses and our physical ailments, then all He is doing is treating a symptom instead of taking care of the source. It's like the old saying of trying to put a band-aid on a bullet wound. See, brothers and sisters, I want you to know, I'm not saying that this man sinned and that's why he led to this. If you have something going on in your life, I mean, you've heard the, the horrific story. Laura was asked one time, what, by a person who needs Jesus, what, what did she think that we did to make cash the way that he is? What sin did we commit? Right? So it's, it's a very common question, but I, I'm not saying that sin caused it, okay, from us. But I want you to know, if not for the fall, no tornadoes, no demonic possession, no cancer, no AIDS, no broken homes, none of these things. So in, in one sense, it's not that we are the, the, the creator of this sin, but because we live in a broken world, a fallen system, these things begin to happen, and yet Jesus doesn't step in to try to fix the fruit of sin, which is people being paralyzed, or people murdering people, or, arm, or wars, or, or natural disasters like the, the flooding in Louisiana. Jesus doesn't step into those things, and, and sometimes he does, but he's a, he doesn't cure or keep all of those things from happening because there's a greater goal, and the goal is to seek and save the lost. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus is doing these things. The sickness, the storm, the demonic activity is all fruit of sin. And yet Jesus shows, his, uh, he shows his, illustrates his authority, his power, his reign to forgive sin. This morning, if you were lost and undone without Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus has the power over your sin. That Jesus has the power over your past sin. That Jesus has that, that sin that you are immersed in right now. That Jesus has it. That he can forgive it. That Jesus forgives your future sin. Brothers and sisters, if we have truly been saved, when Jesus said, this man, your sins are forgiven, guess what he was saying? Forever. Forever. Those, your sins are forgiven. Well, what if I go and do something tomorrow? Forgiven. Next week, 
forgiven. The gospel is it is we cannot save ourselves. We cannot keep ourselves saved. What does Jesus do? He lavishes his forgiveness, his love, his grace upon us over and over and over and over. If you have truly been saved this morning, you are eternally saved forever and ever and ever. And immediately you begin to think, even as a preacher, like, well, if I preach like that, then people are going to think, well, I'll just go out here and do whatever I want you to do. I want you to know this this morning. Let's clarify something. If you really are saved, you won't think like that. You won't go live like that. You won't be trying to, to sin so that grace can abound even more. But no, you'll be walking in that newness of life. And when you do sin, you are quickly to confess and to walk in that gospel as you seek to kill the own sin in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm not fearful of those. But we need to know the gospel. I've got some friends really wrestling in sin right now. Massive. It's ruining their lives. And you know what they need? They need to understand the forgiveness of Jesus to walk in that forgiveness, the newness that he gives. In closing, point number three, truth to consider. It does not end with forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, did you know that Jesus is the true and better friend that brings us to God? The third truth to consider this morning is that Jesus is the true and better friend that brings us to God. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that, that forgiveness is awesome. Can you participate? Forgiveness is awesome, right? Thank you, Pastor Justin. All right? Awesome. Your sins are forgiven. All right. That's cool. I mean, our sins are forgiven. Every one of them. Even, even I heard this week that Martin Luther once said that, did you know that the blood of Christ has even covered your motives? How many need some forgiveness on that? Like the blood of Jesus even covers your wrong motive. He covers the sins you don't even know that you've committed yet. And that, that is powerful. That is great. But I do not think that, that forgiveness is Jesus' penultimate. It is not his greatest accomplishment. It's awesome, it's glorious, but you need to know this. It, it is a fruit of the Spirit. It, it, it's a fruit of His movement in our lives. But at the, the sources of the gospel is this, is that Jesus is a true and better friend who brings us to God. Well, what do I mean by that? We are the paralyzed man. Our sin has left us, according to the Scripture, not just paralyzed, it has left us dead. We are incapable of taking care of ourselves spiritually. We are incapable of reconciling ourselves to God. We are incapable of, of being able to worship God our own. The, the scripture tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 14, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by, by canceling the record of debt. It stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In Romans chapter 5, it says, Since therefore, listen to this, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that you, excuse me, now that we are reconciled, shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice to God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through whom we have now received reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, all of this from God, who through Jesus reconciled us to himself. Jesus is the true and better friend. Jesus is the true and better friend that, that has to carry us himself. He, he uh, overcomes every obstacle. This morning, forgiveness has cost you nothing, but it has cost Jesus everything. And the ultimate goal wasn't just to say, okay, you're forgiven, now go do whatever. But what does Jesus do? Jesus, through the power of reconciling you, God's enemy, back to God, now forgives. That's what we need. Brothers and sisters, we don't, don't need forgiveness. We need to be brought to God. And what does Jesus do in the power of the cross and the resurrection? He, he lays us literally in the, in the throne room of God and says, here, here they are. And I, I, I take upon myself the punishment, the wrath that this person deserves, these people deserves, in order that they may be in right relationship with you, God. That is ultimately why Jesus has come. To reconcile us. That's why he's able to look at a paralyzed man and say, your sins are forgiven. And to prove that forgiveness, okay, I'm, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to heal you. Do you know this God? Do you know this Jesus? Have you been brought near to God through Jesus? Have you experienced the forgiveness that Jesus gives to his children? Do you know this Jesus? who at all costs will carry your dead, limp, sinful, child of wrath body to God. Say, so whatever punishment he deserves, I'll take. Whatever unrighteousness he has, I will absorb. I will give him my perfection. I will give him my righteousness. God, what you would do to me. I mean, think about this. This is, Jesus is God's own son. And what does the scripture tell us now? We have the right to be called the sons and daughters of God. We, are, we can't paint the picture horrific enough to show you what your life is like without Jesus. What your condition is like apart and separated from God. Yet Jesus steps in and he, he bridges that gap. Crosses every obstacle. Defeats death itself in order to bring us to God where we get to spend forever and ever and ever. Amen. Do you know this Jesus?